In June of 1969, Norma McCorvey discovered that she was pregnant. And so she traveled to Dallas, Texas, where abortion in the case of rape and incest was legal. And friends there advised her to falsely say that she had been raped so that she could get an abortion. However, the scheme failed. As there was no police report for this alleged rape, which she knew and her friends knew never actually occurred, she wasn't able to get a legal abortion. So she decided to go the illegal route to find a side shop abortion clinic. But when she got to the clinic just a few days before, the abortion clinic had been raided by police and shut down. And so she was unable to get an abortion. And so she referred to or she was referred to attorneys, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington. And in 1970, these two filed suit in a U.S. district court in Texas on behalf of Norma McCorvey. And they filed it under the alias Jane Rowe. The defendant in the case was Dallas County District Attorney Henry Wade, representing the state of Texas, hence the case Rowe versus Wade. After being appealed, it was argued to the U.S. Supreme Court on December 13th, 1971, and then was re-argued almost a year later on October 11th, 1972. And on January 22nd, 1973, some 41 years ago, a 7-2 majority decision was made in favor of Roe. Prior to this time, every state had abortion legislation, and it was up to the state's to decide for themselves the legality of abortion. In 30 states, it was illegal across the board, and in 20 states, it was legal only in certain extenuating circumstances. But this fateful decision on January 22, 1973, overturned all of that. And it made a standing rule across the board that abortion is Legal. And so for, for 41 years, murder for the most innocent, helpless weak of the human community has been legal in the United States of America. And what this key ruling in 1973 did was it said a few things, and these are what it said, that no state may make laws regulating abortion during the first three months of pregnancy except to provide that they be done by licensed physicians. Secondly, it said that laws regulating abortion between the third month and the time of viability are constitutional only insofar as they are aimed at safeguarding the health of mothers. It said that laws relating to the time from viability, which they concluded six to six and a half months until the end of pregnancy, may not prevent abortion if it it is to to preserve the life or health of the mother. And fourthly, that the health of the mother includes all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age, relevant to the well-being of the patient which if you understand what was said there is a very broad definition and can be argued to allow almost anything. 
Now, before I dive into this message, because as Kevin said, it's a very hot topic, it creates a lot of emotion. I would guess that every single person in here today has been affected by this issue in one way or another, whether you've had an abortion or you know someone who has. And so, before I jump into this very difficult, hot topic, I want to preface this message with grace, and I will also end my message with grace. I want to tell you today that God's grace, through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, covers every sin. Every sin. I know we have this issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says is unforgivable. But I believe that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is simply a rejection of God's Son. That is unforgivable. Because it's only through the acceptance and trusting in the Son of God that we receive His grace and forgiveness for all other sins. And so I want to saturate this whole message today with the grace and mercy of a heavenly Father who loves you and sent His Son to die so that your sins might be forgiven if you trust Him, even the sin of abortion. Ronald Reagan said, I've noticed that everybody that is for abortion has already been born. In 2008, which is the most recent nationwide statistics we have, in the U.S., there were approximately 1.2 million babies aborted. Now, if we think about that number, that's 3,315 babies every single day. Worldwide, there are about 115,000 abortions done every single day. If you do the math on that, that's almost 42 million babies a year. So so let's try to put that in perspective this morning. If you look at the U.S. population, it's about 300 million people. So approximately one-sixth of the U.S. population, or at least the number, is murdered annually throughout the world. Or, Or think about the Holocaust Some six million Jews were murdered during the Holocaust. And we should weep at six million people being destroyed. We should shudder in horror at that truth. But six million is only one-seventh the number of how many are murdered every year due to abortion. And what makes me cringe is that you don't hear anything about it. If you go to Washington, D.C., there is a Holocaust memorial to honor and remember those who were taken so tragically. And yet, no monument has been erected for the 49 million children every year who are killed. No article in the paper that remembers these lives. And why is that? Because these killings have been determined as a choice according to our law. It is tolerated, practiced, and even celebrated by many. 
And what an inconsistency it is, even in our own laws, let alone in our own sense of morality and justice. 27 states treat the killing of an unborn child as a form of homicide. That is, they have what are called fetal homicide laws. So if a child dies in the womb, or if, it, if an accident occurs, if a drunk driver hits a person, or uh, a, they are caused physical harm and their unborn child dies, then the person who does that can be, tr- can be charged with fetal homicide. Now, the other states, besides these 27, have different kinds of penalties for attacks on women that result in the death of their unborn child. There was a story in Minnesota. It's an old one. It came, in 1987, this happened. But a teen, teenage girl who was six and a half months pregnant went into the woods with her boyfriend on a suicide pact to kill themselves. And so they go out into the woods. This girl, six, six and a half months pregnant, the, her boyfriend and the father of her child, she takes the gun and she kills herself first. But the, but the guy chickens out. He loses nerve and he doesn't kill himself. And he goes back to town and police find out about this and they arrest him. He was arrested and charged with assisting a suicide and inadvertently murdering the fetus during the commission of a felony. That's what it said in the papers. And do you know that the fetal homicide law carried a stiffer penalty than the assisting in a suicide? They considered the, the, the killing of that child and his responsibility in it as more heinous than him assisting in this woman's death. The verdict was appealed, but it was upheld in 1991. So the state said, this is absolutely wrong, what he did. And there was one sentence in the story that leapt off the pages because of its stunning implications. And it said this, the law makes it murder to kill an embryo or fetus intentionally, except in cases of abortion. Now think about that for a moment. We have some laws that condemn the killing of a fetus as murder, and we have some laws that condone the killing of a fetus as abortion. Do you see the contradiction there? And why is this? What is the basis for the difference? Usually the proposed basis for the difference is simply this. It is legal to take the life of the unborn if the mother chooses that it not be taken... But it is legal to take the life of the unborn if the mother chooses that it be taken. In the first case, the law treats the fetus as a human with rights. And in the second case, the law treats the fetus as non-human with no rights. And the choice of the one in power makes all the difference. The one in position of power gets to determine the value of the life of The weaker one. I alluded to the Holocaust earlier. And isn't that exactly what happened in the Holocaust? The ones in power got to determine the value of the lives of the ones who were in the weaker position. And it's a very scary world indeed when that's how we determine the value of life. When that's how we conduct ourselves. 
Some deserve to live while others do not because of the choice of the one in power. In the case of the Holocaust, it was race, physical and or mental capacity and other forms of weakness that were used to determine the value of life and whether they deserve to live or die. And many times, well, in all cases, that's how it is with unborn children. It's maybe physical or mental capacity. Maybe it's just because they're inconvenient, a financial liability. And so we say that the one in power has the right to choose whether the weaker one lives or dies. And we call it legal. There's a story in Scripture where we see God's sovereignty, His sovereign design in every pregnancy, every pregnancy regardless of the disability, weakness, or inconvenience of the human life. If you'll turn to John with me, John chapter 9, I want us to read verses 1 through 7 together. A very familiar story. The, the blind man who had been blind from birth and Jesus has him wash and he is able to see. If you'll stand with me this morning, would you follow along as I read John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You can be seated. Now, this, this sermon isn't about why are some born with disabilities, although this is a great text to talk about that. And, and we as Christians have a responsibility to those who have real and debilitating disabilities. But... Many will claim that deformity is a criterion for allowing abortion. And when, when we come to the debate of, of abortion, this is thrown up so many times. Well, what about the mother who has a child that is deformed or disabled? What about mental handicaps and physical limitations? How difficult the life would be for the child and for the parents. Why wouldn't we choose to end that life? It's compassionate, really. But by Planned Planned Parenthood's own admission, 93% of abortions are conducted on healthy women with healthy babies. And in that same vein, less than 1% of abortions are because of rape or incest. So God's word is God's word. Every life is sacred. And I don't want to say that that I'm making an exception. Please don't hear me saying that this morning. But what I want to do is I want to take that less than 94% and put it over here for... I'm sorry, that less than six, that less than 7%, less than 8%, I'm sorry. Yes, my math is horrible. 
less than 8% and put it over here for just a little bit. And let's talk about this more than 92% over here. We, we can talk about that in another message. But we can say in, in more than 92%, it is, in, it is done in the case of a healthy mother with a healthy child without the issue of rape or incest being a factor. That is, a, that is an overwhelming majority of abortions. And so those arguments are very unfair because so many abortions, the overwhelming majority of abortions, have nothing to do with handicap or rape or incest. But even if that is the case, when it comes to handicapped and, and mental, uh, mental dysfunctions and physical deformities... We have a text today that tells us that God is sovereign over every pregnancy, over every human life in the womb. He has created every single one of us, who we are and who we're not, for a specific purpose in life. Would we destroy a child in the womb just because he is fashioned and formed according to God's purpose? Even though he may not be physically whole or physically capable or mentally as advanced as most of us? Just as in the case of this blind man. Who sinned, Jesus, his mother, or did he sin? Why is he blind? What is the reason for him being blind? Why did this accident happen? Why did this deformity occur? And what was Jesus' response? It wasn't because of sin. It wasn't an accident. This was God's will so that his glory would be seen, so that the power of Christ would be seen in this man's life, so God would be honored through his life. Now, if you talk to and, and you read many stories, I think of Joni Erickson Tata and others like her who have, have had accidents occur to them and now they have physical disabilities. And they talk about God's purpose, God's design in their disability and how God has used it to not only bless them but to bring glory to himself. We have a testimony like that right in our very presence today with Steve. How God has used a physical deformity. And Steve, I say that with all the respect in the world. You know what I mean by that. To bless Steve and to grow his kingdom. Psalm 139, 13-14 says... For you, were, for you formed my inward parts. This is David speaking of how God formed him. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Or Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Or Job 31, if I have despised the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises and when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him and the same one fashion us all in the womb? God 
created us all. And his purpose doesn't start after birth. It begins at the very beginning. At conception. So life just doesn't begin at conception as we saw. Scientifically, medically, there's no question. But God's plan begins at conception. Chuck Colson in his book Breaking po- uh, Breakpoint Commentary tells of this amazing experience that happened to one photographer while he was photographing an in utero surgery. This little baby named Samuel Armas in 1999 was operated on for spina bifida. And I want you to listen to the description written by this photographer. I'm sorry, written by Chuck Colson in his book about this photographer. As the surgeon was closing the womb, the miracle happened. Baby Samuel pushed his hand out of the womb and grabbed the surgeon's finger. Photographer Michael Clancy caught this astonishing act on film. And in that instant, Clancy went from being pro-choice to being pro-life. As Clancy wrote, I was totally in shock for two hours after the surgery. I know abortion is wrong now. It is absolutely wrong. So now we have scientific evidence. We have biblical evidence. And we have experiential evidence. My friends, what more do we need? Let me talk to the parents for a second. While when I was in high school, I knew of several girls at my school who had gotten abortions. And in at least one of the cases, it was the girl's parents who had encouraged her to have this done. And they took her to have it done. They were prominent members in the community. They were prominent members in their church. And they probably called themselves pro-life. But when push came to shove and their reputation was at stake, they chose to quietly end the life of their grandchild over dealing with the public embarrassment of having a teenage daughter who was pregnant. And, and please don't hear me wrong this morning. It is a difficult situation indeed. And my heart goes out to any family in that situation. And, and I realize, and one reason it goes out is because it's sad and there's compassion, but I also realize that as a Christian and even as a pastor, I am not exempt from difficult situations. I have a little girl. And regardless of how godly I am, regardless of how godly the home she grows up in is, I realize that that could happen my little girl when she gets older. It could happen. I pray it doesn't, but it could. And so there's great compassion from my perspective to any parent that has to go through that. And I pray that that I will be able to forgive my child if that ever happens, God forbid. That I will be able to love them with the love of Christ. And I pray that we all are able to do that. But I also pray that we will never ask or pressure our children to commit any sin. In fact, I think we should communally and individually commit 
to never pressuring our children to commit sin in general, but specifically this morning, commit to this. Let's commit specifically never to cover up an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy by murdering the innocent child. Yes, the child was conceived in sin, but let us not try to cover up the sin by committing more sin. And, and I believe that, at least from a human standpoint, the sin of abortion is much more grievous than the sin of sex outside of wedlock. My friends, every child, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how he or she came about, is a child which God has given a soul, which God has breathed life into and which God has a plan for. Every child is a child whom God knew before she was formed in her mother's womb. She is a child made in the image of God. He or she has value as a human life and God desires to use that life for His glory. And for us to choose that that life is less valuable and to end it is murder and is to set ourselves up as God's. Abortion is the taking of a life and both the Bible and science confirm that. And my friends, this is no small thing. This is a battle for the unborn. It is a fight against injustice. We've spent billions of dollars to defend the defenseless around the world. As Americans, we've gone over and we fought other people's fight to protect them from, from governments who would seek to steal from them, murder them, destroy them. We've protected them from raiders and from villains and from evil people. And yet right in our own backyards... Too often we won't raise a finger to protect the most innocent, the most defenseless. It is a battle indeed. It is a pursuit of godliness, a response to biblical truth. It is obedience to God himself when we deny that abortion is a moral choice. It is immoral and unbiblical. It is murder And it is sin. But let me tell you a story about a father who valued the life of his children. Let me tell you a story of a father who saw life as sacred and valuable. In fact, he valued life to such a degree that he was willing to kill his own son so that all his other children might live. My friends, it is the story of the gospel. It is the answer to abortion and to every other sin. And listen, this morning, we're talking about abortion. And we need to see the horrific nature of it. But if you're sitting out there today and you've never had an abortion or encouraged someone else to have one, you're not innocent. You're not off scot-free this morning. My friends, all of us, whether you've committed abortion or not, you stand guilty before the God of the universe apart from Christ. 
But our great God, who loved us so much, was willing to abort his own son so that you might live. That is how much our God values life. Not just physical, but spiritual, eternal life. Let us not forget that Jesus' death both judges our sin and offers grace for it. He died to show us the magnitude of our sin and he died to forgive the magnitude of our sin. If you've been a part of abortion, if you've had one or encouraged someone else to do it, remember this morning that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And though the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've chosen in the past to be a part of abortion, then confess your sin in faith, asking God to forgive you through Jesus Christ. Repent of both your actions and your mindset, and then let us all do what we can do to fight against this injustice, this greatest of injustices, until all life is valued. Until we see through the eyes of our heavenly Father and Creator and we love every person by fighting for injustice, by seeking to take the gospel to the world, by praying for others when they're hurting, by putting others first before ourselves in all things and all matters, by loving them as Christ has loved us.